Hey now, welcome to Random Movie Club. I'm your host, Rob Logan. In each episode, I sit down with a co-host to discuss any movie of their choosing. The only qualification is that the movie is available to watch at home on DVD, Blu-ray, or digital. Before you listen to this show, I highly recommend that you watch the movie we're going to talk about, because we're going to spoil everything. Also, at the end of the episode, I'll tell you which movie we're going to discuss next so you have enough time to watch it. If you enjoy Random Movie Club, you can help keep it going by supporting us on Patreon. Supporters get special benefits like bonus episodes, patron-only events, and more. Show your support for Random Movie Club and the Geek Generation by visiting our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com support. On this episode, I'll be discussing Paddington 2 with Super Scary. Let's roll the film. Paddington 2 was released in 2017 from director Paul King. Based on the book series created by Michael Bond, the screenplay was written by Paul King and Simon Farnaby. The film stars Ben Wishaw, Hugh Bonneville, Sally Hawkins, and Hugh Grant. So, Supa. Hello. First question that I always ask my guests, why did you choose this movie? See, I think we had talked about doing this podcast for like quite a while. Mm-hmm. Like we, we were discussing about it and you always said like, oh, you're welcome on. Like, just give me like the name of a movie you'd want to do and we can we can discuss it. And I was like, cool, that's great. And then I couldn't think of a movie for like the longest time. Because I felt like when you pick a movie, it kind of has to be meaningful to you. Sure. Like, obviously you pick like a movie you want to talk at length about. So it has to be something you're quite passionate about. And there's loads of movies that I like, but I also feel like the the movie that someone picks says a lot about them, if that makes sense. Like it's almost sure. representative of like, if you had to like pick one movie to talk about, what would it be? You'd want to pick something that, you know, makes you feel something. Mm. And I think I've always had a lot of problems when it comes to empathy in general. So I've always had issues and I've never been able to like get fully immersed in movies or TV shows or games or anything like that. Just naturally, it's never really happened for me. I've never been able to get into something like that. Like I've never cried at a movie. Wow. Or, or a game or anything like that. Or music never happened because I just I just don't have that link, you know. The closest I came to was like at a theater, like watching Phantom of the Opera. And that was like for different reasons, too. But this movie, it genuinely made me feel something. I don't know if it was just a time in my life that it happened, or maybe I'm like emotionally maturing as I get older and watching it. Mm-hmm. But it was just it, like I watched it and I was like, yeah, this is actually genuinely making me feel something. This is something I want to share with other people. And it's something I want more people to give a chance to, because a lot of people see a movie about a talking bear. And I was for kids, you know, yeah. it's a talking bear. Like what? Like I'm not going to relate to that. But, but I, it's like a, it's a universal movie. I think it's just, it's an experience and. It sounds so silly when you look at the movie and you see a bear on the front cover and you're like, yeah, an experience. But it truly is. I don't know. I want people to be willing to give that a chance. Yeah, I was really excited when these movies even came out, even though this was the first time that I watched this one and I watched the first Paddington before I watched this one. So I had the proper context for everything. Did you do them back to back or on separate days? I did them within the same week. Okay, yeah, I think I did the same too. As soon as I watched the first one, I, I tried the first one out because I'm like, yeah, I kind of want to give this a go. And then immediately I was like, we're watching the second one like in a yeah. couple of days because I, I really want to. And I'm sa- I'm so sad there's not a third yet. I, d- I don't know if they're planning on it. It's I, on God, the way. I hope they are. It's on the way, apparently. Oh, that is gonna, I have something to look forward to right now. Like, Forget E3, forget any sort of like gaming <laughs> conventions where they announce new. I'm all about Paddington 3. Yeah. But I uh, I did read some of the books when I was a kid. So this wasn't a new character for me. And I used to love stuffed animals when I was really little. And I had a Paddington bear. 
stuff there. See, that surprises so. me because he's like a big cultural icon in the UK. I didn't realize it extended to other places in the world too. I don't think it's huge over here, but I was definitely familiar with him. That's surprising because normally if I bring up Paddington to anybody, especially like in the US, they, they don't really know. They're like, I don't know, who is that? Yeah. Um, but over here you say it to anyone and it's like, you know, Paddington was on like commercials. Like everyone kind of knows this character. It's a very cultural character here. Yeah. So we're going to talk about the movie itself. But before we do, I always go to IMDb and gather a whole bunch of trivia about the movie. Nice, so nice. let's talk about that first. So Paddington author Michael Bond died on the last day of filming Paddington 2 and six months before the release of this film at the age of 91. His last book about the character was released in April 2017. Books on Paddington have sold more than 35 million copies throughout his career. I, I, I did know about him passing away on the last day. Mm. And while that's super sad, I am very happy that he actually got to see the first movie and be a big part of the second one. Yeah. Because I feel like with, with anything when, that is adapted from a book, it's always nice to see the author give it a sort of stamp of valid or validation, you know, where they say, you know what, I oversaw this and I think it's a faithful telling. Sure, they changed some stuff, but I support it fully. That's always really nice to see. Yeah. And I know he was really happy with Paddington from what I understood. He really liked the movies. I wish he could have seen the second one when it came out because it was just, you know, so beautiful. Yeah. But yeah, I think since watching the movies now i actually want to go and get all the books again which is quite weird because they still the books are more aimed at children but i still want that i guess it's kind of like form of escapism for me you know totally one day after completing her demanding underwater scenes for the shape of water sally hawkins flew from toronto canada to london england in order to begin production on this film only to find out she would have to shoot underwater scenes for this film as well that's where I knew her from. It was driving me crazy. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. She is so, uh, this is going to sound really bizarrely creepy. There's something like so warming about her smile. I don't know what it is. It's, it's, she is the perfect character to play a mother and she does in the Paddingtons. Mm -hmm. And it's just so like, it makes you feel warm just by, and I, I was like, where do I know her from? She's like, this is so familiar, but obviously it's a shape of water. Yeah. Yeah. It's just such a fantastic actress too. She really is. While Knuckles is reading the paper, one of the headlines reads, Dry cleaner accused of money laundering. A deal is being ironed out. Nice. <laughs> nice. I think there's so many little uh, background details to, oh, I'm sure. to all of that. Like, oh, oh God, I know we'll get into it later, but just the, the sort of cinematography and the effort that goes into like every little thing is so extraordinary. So mm -hmm. I know we'll get to that. But yeah, like any background shots you can pause and you can find stuff. It's like it's like a little painting where you can find little details in the background. It's I almost it. like a little pop-up book that you flip through. It and is. <laughs> it is. Speaking of, the pop-up book of London used in the film was created in reality for a limited edition collector's item containing six illustrated pop-up scenes that have been taken directly from the film. I can only guess how expensive that would be, but God, I would buy it. <laughs> if I had that money, I would, I would get that. Be worth it. While you're buying all the old books, just add that one to the collection. Yeah, yeah. The animation in the book sequence when Paddington and Aunt Lucy travel around London is very similar to that of the 1976 TV series Paddington Bear, in which all characters and backgrounds other than Paddington were paper cutouts. That there's like three really, really strong like scenes in the movie that stick out to me that's one of them that yeah, scene oh, is just uh, it's beautiful 100% agree it is a lovely lovely sequence yeah yeah like uh. Barkridge's 
the name of the department store on the hamper in which Mrs. Brown hides to be delivered to Phoenix Buchanan's house was originally mentioned in the very first Paddington book by Michael Bond and a clear homage to Selfridges where Michael Bond first got his idea for Paddington. That's amazing. I didn't know that at all. I like I like the little book details, especially because, again, I haven't like I'm sure I've read a couple of the books. I've never actually gone through the whole anthology that mm. they have. But, yeah, there's probably so many details that I've missed from the movies that are like little nods at the book. So, yeah, I have to when I when I eventually go back and read them, I'm going to have to keep an eye out. Yeah, it's been so long since I've touched them. I probably missed so many things that I've forgotten over the years. Yeah. Sanjeev Baskar says when he filmed Paddington cleaning Dr. Joffrey's windows, it was actually director Paul King shimmying his rear end on the soapy glass. I love that. That made me <laughs> laugh so hard. And it's such a childish thing, too. But that scene was just so funny to me. Yeah, it was really, really good. It was it was not even like a well thought out like joke or something like that. It's just very like physical and slapstick. But there's just something about it that was just like, oh, that's that's so good. There is great physical comedy in this for sure. Yeah. In the end credits, a newspaper clipping reveals that Knuckles has opened a tea room, which also displays the headline, Knuckles Sandwiches. I remember that because I remember specifically thinking, if they make a third, that better be a part of it. That better be like somewhere Paddington goes. Yes. And I loved his character. He was so good. He was, he was amazing, but they do so many, uh, I mean, I, you mentioned you saw the first one. I know we're focusing on the second one here, but there's a lot of callbacks in this movie to the first but the jokes, like, they still work if you haven't seen the first, mm -hmm. but they're just enhanced if you have. And I think that if you were to be a character in the third movie, it would be just like that, where you could see him and you, it would be a fun interaction on its own. But if you'd seen the second one, it would be a really big thing because you'd, you'd get to see this character again. Oh, I hope so. The sequence in the barbershop is based on the original Paddington story called Too Much Off the Top. I... Yeah, I can I can definitely see that. Although I haven't read that story, it's a classic. A well-meaning bear is clumsy and makes a mistake, and mm -hmm. then, then the story plays out from there. And I think that's very essential to his character. Of he he means well, but he's very clumsy about it. Yep. Actor and writer Javier Marzen, who is part of the comedy troupe Pipolicus, provided the physical movements for Paddington Bear while filming. So they actually had a comedian do. The movements which explains why the physical comedy is so good i wonder if it was like um just recorded and then like referenced or if it was like motion capture that's a good question because obviously you can motion capture all sorts of creatures but mm -hmm. it's like getting the stature right you know because pannington's quite a, a short bear like having to translate those movements into a, a different scale might yeah. be a bit challenging i like to think he did it on set so that people could react to him in real time yeah, I always love stuff like that. And like, especially if you see behind the scenes of the sort of stand-ins for those CGI people, it's always, I don't know, it's always interesting to me. During the big chase on top of the train, Phoenix Buchanan says, quote, exit bear pursued by an actor. This is a reversal of one of Shakespeare's most famous <laughs> stage directions, exit pursued by a bear from a winter's tale, which was also the subject of Judy's literature lesson in a scene from the first Paddington. I didn't know about that about the first Paddington. I never like caught that detail, but I did definitely catch that line in the movie. Yeah. And I thought it was perfect for Phoenix's character because he's a very sort of eccentric. He's a very, um, he's a classic sort of bad guy. So he always has these kind of like lines that are a little bit cheesy, but they're, they, they fit for that character, you know, like totally. it makes sense. And yeah, I remember when that came up, I was like, ah, oh, that's beautiful. That's perfect. As an actor, there's, it's so believable that he would lean on like actory type delivered lines. Yeah. And he like he's very over the top about it, you know, 
he's I, I don't know what that sort of um type of character what what you would call that necessarily but it's that it's that kind of like a joke actor character that gets played a lot mm. and it, it, he does it so well he really does Lastly, the scene where Paddington winds around the clock gears is similar to Charlie Chaplin in the film Modern Times. At the end, he even has a little mustache made of grease like Chaplin's that he wipes off. Ah, see, that goes back to what you were saying about physical comedy, doesn't Mm -hmm. it? Because, I mean, Chaplin was very, very famous for his physical comedy. And I think, yeah, I think Paddington definitely plays into that sort of style. That's the thing that I need to rewatch because I definitely didn't catch the the little grease. Yeah, thing. I didn't either. I like I was just I was trying to remember that scene. And I, it didn't stick out to me. Yeah. So let's hash through the plot a little bit and give our thoughts as we go. Uh, so we open with a flashback to a few bare years ago, which already is lovely <laughs> in yeah. Peru. Uh, Pastuzo and Lucy are sitting on a bridge talking about their upcoming trip to London when they spot a bear cub struggling in the river. They save him and remark that they'll need to postpone their trip because they have a cub to raise. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. And it, it, it's like, if you've seen the first, it's obviously their whole goal is to, to eventually go to London. They talked about it their whole life. Mm-hmm. And they kind of had to, it shows that they put their, their that life, that plan on pause to raise this young cub, which is already really sweet. And I think that scene is cool because it starts off, or even in the first movie, it started off with his uncle and aunt, I believe. Mm-hmm. And it's, it already starts off with like a, a really good cast, you know? I think the... uh Uncle Pastuzo is the voice of Dumbledore, or he the, the actor that plays Dumbledore. Right, right. So it already starts off with like a, a really familiar voice, and you're like, oh, where do I know that from? And it continues that way through the movie. I think it's seeing the first movie really enhances this scene when you see where Paddington left his aunt and uncle in the first one, yeah, and what they gave up to kind of raise him. Yeah, of course. No, that makes sense. It's, it's everything about this movie is so sweet. It yeah. really is. And it even starts that way with this one. And again, I think the first movie started with his uncle and aunt too. So it's mm-hmm. almost like they're starting, it's like the beginning chapter. I don't know if they're going to do the same thing in like the third one. They'll go back and they'll sort of show a little snippet of his life before everything we're about to see. Mm. Back in the present, Paddington is home at the Browns who are discussing a carnival coming to town. On his way to the antique shop, we're shown a montage of Paddington helping out his neighbors as they help him travel around. I think that was a big reason why I picked the second one over the first to talk about, because the second feels more like one of the book stories, because he's already settled in with the Browns. He's already with that family. The first one is kind of like a weird comparison, but you know, in a superhero movie, the first one is always them getting their powers in the, the origin, origin story. story. Yeah, And we, we kind of, a lot of the time with these iconic characters like Spider-Man or Superman, you know the backstory. And with Paddington, it's the same over here. The cultural sort of, he's a character that everyone knows. Everyone knows he lives with the Browns. Everyone knows, you know, that's just a thing. Mm-hmm. So the first one, great movie. But I like the second one, how we sort of come in and he's already sort of settled into that a little bit more. Yeah, that makes sense. At the antique shop, Mr. Gruber is showing Paddington a crate of new arrivals in hopes of finding something for his Aunt Lucy's 100th birthday. He's particularly interested in a popping book of London, but it would cost much more than Paddington has. And this is where we get that sequence of being inside the book and everything, too. That's absolutely lovely. I know. It's it's just so beautiful. Yeah, like those those sorts of scenes, um, I just, they they transform from what I, what it's just a movie into a really like a beautiful experience. And it really, it is like that because it's like, I've, I've actually made it a challenge for people what, that I've shown this movie to, to pause the movie on any frame. Like once you've seen the movie, go back, pause on any frame and the colors that they use, mm. it, it paints like 
every single scene, it's like, it's, it's handcrafted. Like you look at it and you're like, every single thing in the background there was a choice. Like it wasn't just, oh, we'll shoot here because it, it sort of fits. Every little thing, every the color of everything, it was all chosen perfectly for that. And scenes like the book, like the director, Paul King, he's only done the Paddington movies and a couple others. He did a show in the UK called The Mighty Boosh, which is like a little comedy show. It's popular yeah. here, but it's just a little like sitcom. It was kind of quirky and, you know, you can kind of see the style, but he's never really done anything. And to go from like that to something like this is just tremendous. Yeah. One of the things that I really like too is the, uh, and this is present in the first one as well, kind of like set the tone here. But this book sequence is part of like a larger idea that they treat the cutaways just as seriously as they treat the rest of the movie. So they're all delivered in like such different styles. Like they repeat in this movie something they did in the first one with almost like the dollhouse kind of idea to create yeah, a montage. I love that. They have that so much. And all the rooms are colored differently. It's like a very Wes Anderson kind There's of. There's so much creativity in that. I love yeah. it. Oh, it's it's so beautiful. See, now I'm trying to remember if a scene I'm remembering is from the first or the second one. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's the first one. There's a scene involving a projector where it's sort of like, it changes how everything looks and mm-hmm. it's just so well done. Yeah. It really is. Paddington decides to get a job to earn the money he needs. His first attempt is working in a barber shop, which doesn't quite go as planned. And obviously that's from the story that you mentioned earlier yeah. in the trivia. Yeah, again, it just shows this very well-meaning but clumsy bear. And it, it sort of, I think that's a really good, not opening shot, but an introduction shot to the character. Mm. Because we've sort of learned about him from the first movie, but if you haven't seen that and you're just watching the second one, it shows you, here's a bear, he's trying to do the right thing, he's trying to do something nice. Oh no, everything's going wrong that, he's, that he could possibly go wrong. Yeah, there are so many sequences in both movies that are basically like Rube Goldberg machines of misfortune. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It, everything leads to another thing. Yeah. That just Everything keeps going wrong. And all from, like you said, good intentions. Yeah. At the Steam Fair, actor Phoenix Buchanan has been asked to open the event, and he asks Paddington to help him out. Paddington mentions the pop-up book to Phoenix, who seems to take interest. Paddington tells him that it's at Gruber's Antique Shop, then has an idea for his next job. I love the line in that, um, where he's, he's uh, Pennington is talking to uh, who was it before? I've, got, I've forgotten her name. the the old The old woman who lives with the Browns. Oh, uh, Mrs. Bird. Yes, Mrs. Bird, and he's talking to her before, and and she's saying how he didn't really like the actor mm-hmm. that he used to be a great actor, and now he just does dog food commercials. And then it translates when Paddington goes on stage and. He's like, oh, you used to, I hear you used to be a great actor, or, or you used to be. Now you do dog food commercials and just insults him publicly without even knowing what he's right, doing. Right. And it's such a like a, a well-written scene. I do find it amusing that you slipped on her name too, and that's one of the bits in the movie. That's is that why Phoenix she hates him. Forgets <laughs> her name. She would very much dislike me. Yeah. <laughs> so appropriate though. Uh, Paddington sets out on his next job as a window cleaner. His furry body just happens to make a fantastic sponge. Yeah, and I like, uh, again, I remember the window cleaning scenes, there's like, it's the music that goes with it. There's kind of like a live band that pops up in both movies. The like Calypso band, yeah. Yeah, and again, not like a, a band that you would like, if on a traditional sort of London setting, mm-hmm. it wouldn't really seem fitting, but it works so well when they actually see it in the movie. It's like, oh, that that like is beautiful. I read some stuff about that, and the reason that that band was included is because Michael Bond was familiar with that style of music because it's actually like a Peruvian music. So oh, right. with Paddington and his family being from Peru, 
it makes sense to bring that in. And their songs were all kind of like about different emotions and a little cheery sounding. So he's like, it just fits so well together. It really does. And it's so upbeat. And I love the window cleaning thing too. He's got his old, he's got his little gadgets that he does. And I, I a lot of them come in handy later on in the movie too, which mm. is quite cool. I know we'll get to that probably later. But yeah, those are just really funny scenes too. I vaguely recall that ladder gimmick being a part of the books at one point. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, the wind-up ladder from like the briefcase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've totally seen that somewhere before. Even little scenes like that, they set up for things later in the movie, which again, it's like a very sort of innocent kind of kids movie or mm-hmm. people see it as a kids movie, but like it's so well-crafted. So this ladder will come into play later. And also like things that he does. I remember he, he cleans the window of a man whose window was completely covered in dusty and then he looks out the window and he sees a young lady yeah. and that becomes like a subplot of the movie like a little side thing where you just see these characters get to know one another and and from then on you see them in scenes together and it's like oh there's a little side story happening here that isn't really discussed ever or or, or talked about it just happens yeah they they also there's so many things i set up at the beginning there's the bullseye brown thing there's mrs brown being a diver there's Jonathan's love of steam trains. Like these are all things that yeah. come back in a major way later on in the movie. And even uh, side characters too. Uh, the lady on the bike mm-hmm. that he comes out and he like gives breakfast to, and she comes back later, and it's, it's sort of it's trying to show a comparison between life with Paddington and then as things go on in the movie. Yeah. With only a day left of work before he'll be able to afford the book, he stops by to see it in the window of the antique shop. While there, he spots a disheveled man with a beard break in and steal it. He gives chase on his friend Wolfie's back, but the man vanishes in a puff of smoke. With no other suspects around, Paddington is arrested. I like the, uh, again, even the dog is set up before. Mm-hmm. He, like, greets the dog, and it's like a little um, stray dog that's just sort of sitting out in the open. But he, he shows kindness to it, he's friendly to it, and because of that, the dog likes him. And it, it, it comes into play later on again, of course, when he needs help, that the dog comes out of nowhere and he rides on the dog's back. And yeah. It's really sweet. There's a lot of great little jokes in that chase sequence. I love the one where he kind of rears up on Wolfie like a horse and then just falls off his back. <laughs> yeah. So good. <laughs> As he's brought home to notify his family before he's taken in, his neighbors look on with shock and concern for their friend. I found it. Is that general practice to like bring somebody who's arrested back to their family and be like, we just wanted to show you that we're taking him to the police station. I don't know, actually. I guess if Paddington, maybe if they're underage and Paddington is kind of seen as like a a youngster, possibly. That makes sense. But yeah, I mean, it's very common here if somebody's in trouble or someone's getting like, there's like police cars outside, everyone on the street is kind of like looking out their windows. Like it's very, it's a big thing here where everyone's kind of like a bit nosy about it. Um, so it's, I mean, it's the same in Paddington and, uh, Mr. Curry too, is obviously somebody who's been against Paddington from the very beginning. So mm-hmm. he's quite happy about it. It's very interesting to see Peter Capaldi in this role after watching him as Dr. Who for so many seasons. I know he's so like scheming in this movie, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's not like as outspoken. He's very sort of, or he's outspoken, but in a very negative way. Yeah. I found it surprising that he acted the way he did in this movie. Cause I thought by the end, of the first one, he kind of came around, but maybe he like reverted after getting used to him being in the neighborhood for a while. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, we cut to the disheveled man sitting in front of a mirror with costumes surrounding him, removing the costume. He reveals himself to be Phoenix Buchanan, who says he needed the book to uncover clues and find a treasure to make him rich again. 
little cheeky bit of exposition, but I really like that scene because he's talking to these sorts of costumes behind him, mm-hmm. these sort of mannequins that are dressed in his various roles. And as he talks to them, he's doing the accent of that character. Um, so he's, he's talking to like a Macbeth and he does like a Scottish accent. And he's and it's really, it's quite a, a well, it, it is exposition, like blatantly, but it's done in a kind of like a tasteful and fun way. Mm-hmm. It's not just like, here's my entire backstory. It's done through somebody playing multiple characters and it's quite interesting. Yeah. And they don't make him seem like he's crazy or anything either. Cause they could have easily gone too much into it. He's just eccentric. Yeah. You know, that's what it is. And we yeah. even get kind of a tidbit later on from his agent who says that he just doesn't like working with other people. Yeah. Cause he's, yeah, that's what it was. He gets offered roles, but he's, he doesn't want people detracting from his screen time yeah. or whatever it was, or his presence on screen. So he's very like, egocentric and full of himself and that kind of plays into his uh eccentricity yeah in court the judge is coincidentally the same man who said paddington accidentally shaved in the barber shop so he's already starting off on the wrong foot that was a lovely scene too i like um richard aowadi who's a, a famous english actor played one of the people testifying to he plays uh, Moss on the IT Crowd, which is a very popular show. Sort of a, a very, a lot of like English comedians pop up in the movie too. And that was one of them. And that was always a nice scene to see. But again, it shows that, that, that everything that can go wrong for Paddington typically does. Despite character testimony believing him to be innocent, Phoenix Buchanan takes the stand as a witness and says he never saw the disheveled man that Paddington claims is the thief. As a result, he is sentenced to 10 years in prison. Yeah, again, with Phoenix doing that, it shows him as a great actor that he can pull this off. And it shows that he's very he's very able to play the nice guy, too. Mm-hmm. Like in, in, a, in the public eye, he's very likable. Uh, and I thought that was quite clever. I think for a kid's movie, like kids would definitely just accept that. My first thought was like, if Gruber's not pressing charges, then... <laughs> Oh, yeah. That's a very good point. I never even thought of it. I'm the kid. I'm the kid watching this movie yeah. like, no, Paddington, don't go to jail without actually being like, hang on, he has a case here. Let's back up a minute. And Gruber took the stand and was like, I don't think he did it. And like that would suggest that he's not going to charge Paddington. So yeah. who is actually prosecuting? I guess the judge just had a vendetta. I guess. <laughs> uh, I also thought right away when he puts the hat on, even though like he normally has the the brimmed hat on. I don't notice this as much, but as soon as you put the prison hat on, they had that different profile. I was like, Paddington's face looks a little bit like a weasel, like as opposed to a bear. Yeah, I, I think it hides the ears. It like thins out yeah, the yeah. face a little bit. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. I think, you know what? The CGI, it still holds up pretty well, too. It's like, it, it looks really good. Oh, totally. I think so, too. Assigned to laundry duty, Paddington accidentally leaves a red sock in the wash with everything else, turning all the prison uniforms pink. His fellow inmates are not pleased. I think this is an example of how everything is planned. Like, they could have easily just left the prison uniforms gray. The movie would have been fine. But there's something about making it pink that made it very pastel, very Wes Anderson, like this sort of like beautiful color scheme. And again, every time you pause it, it's a beautiful frame. It was clearly intended for the uniforms to be that kind of color. Mm. And uh, I love that. I love that they made, they made that choice because they could have easily just done prison uniforms. It's fine. We'll continue the story as it yeah. is. And it's almost like a foreshadowing of what happens to the prison later. Like this is the first note of the same way that Paddington adds, quote unquote, color to his neighborhood. He's the first thing that he does when he's in prison is he brings some color into it, into like a lifeless yeah. prison. That's a very good way of putting it, too. So, again, they, they hate it at first. And they, they, they're just very angry at him for changing the color of his uniforms. 
But then as it goes on, you know, and I'm sure we'll get to that, like, he manages to turn that around for himself. Yeah. Unsatisfied with the food, Paddington speaks with the chef, Knuckles McGinty. He only manages to anger Knuckles until he defends himself by shoving a marmalade sandwich in the chef's mouth. After tasting the marmalade, Knuckles takes him on as an assistant to make more. That is a beautiful scene. I love Knuckles so much as a character. Mm-hmm. I forget the actor's name. I know he played uh, Mad-Eye Moody in yeah. Harry Potter. Yep. A fantastic actor. But just the scene where Pannington is so naive and he's like, oh, yeah, I'll go complain. And everyone's like, you don't complain to Knuckles. And even though the security guard at the prison is like, we're going to need a, a medical officer <laughs> to, to come down. The security guard bit was the best. <laughs> yeah, it was so funny. <laughs> and he just goes up and he's like, yeah, this is stale. And he like hits him with a breadstick at one point because he's just so naive. He doesn't understand that. Oh, this man is, you know, he's a big tough guy in prison. You don't talk bad to this yeah. guy. You know, you don't you don't say a word against him. And Paddington just doesn't care. He wants to be honest. And Paddington doesn't get the sarcasm either. He's like, oh, I love it when people complain. And he's like, oh, well, in that case. Oh, oh good. <laughs> <laughs> the Brown family continues to investigate the theft and learns that the book holds the secret to finding a treasure. It's revealed to the audience that Buchanan is the magician's grandson. I thought this was really interesting, too, because this is another through line from both movies that both of the villains are like following in the footsteps of their ends. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I never thought about that because, yeah, exactly. Exactly the same as the first movie. It's someone who had some kind of vendetta in the past has now come back through some sort of family line. I wonder if they'll do the same in the third one, to be honest, because, I mean, there's so many similarities between the first two. And usually I think that can make a movie weaker because you kind of have to rely on the jokes from the first one Mm -hmm. or the setups from the first one and makes the movie not really stand on its own. But I think this is an exception. I think Paddington 2 stands beautifully on its own, even though it has so many similar themes to the first one. It's still its own movie. Completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. Visiting the museum during their investigation, the Browns hear a tale from a security guard about a nun that was causing trouble the night before. The audience sees that the nun was also Buchanan. Yeah, I love all the uh, the disguises that he has to go through in this yes. movie. And the one part where he's nun. And it brings back the character from the first one. That weirdly, like, the guy who was attracted <laughs> to Mr. Brown when he was dressed as a lady. He was very, like, attracted to him. It happened the same way when uh, Phoenix was dressed as the nun, too. Yeah. Apparently, he helped out with the screenplay a lot on this one. Really? Yeah. I, I know him from a few other pieces. I know he's been an actor. Actually, that makes sense because he was an actor in that series I mentioned before, The Mighty Boosh, that Paul okay. King, the director of Pennington, directed then. So it, it makes sense. They must be friends and he got him involved in a couple other roles too. Yeah. It, it's funny that he, between the two movies, clearly has a thing for men dressed up as women. Like that's. <laughs> yeah. That's like his character is, revolves around that. But that's another joke that's like totally funny here. But if you've seen the first, is just like kicked up a notch. Exactly. Knuckles and Paddington work together to create a large batch of marmalade, which the prisoners greatly enjoy. They take recipe suggestions from the other inmates to expand the menu further, leading to the attitude in the prison becoming much lighter. The scene where they're cooking marmalade for the first time, again, is another fantastic scene because Knuckles, he sort of, it goes into how self-conscious he is. He's a very big, tough guy. Mm -hmm. But the second they make it and they hand it out to the prisoners, he's sitting in the back of the kitchen like, oh, they hate it, don't they? They hate it. And he's so like self-judgmental mm-hmm. even though he has this really rough exterior and Paddington just completely accepts that he doesn't like make fun of him for for this he's just like oh no it's okay don't worry like even though he's just supposed to be this big tough guy yeah he's completely cool with it like doesn't even phase him another thing that kids probably wouldn't think about because they just be like oh yeah those are my favorite things every suggestion is a dessert 
Oh yeah. <laughs> and literally again, I'm the kid. I'm the kid. I'm watching this like that sounds great. That's a menu right there. Like, I would eat like that. this is not sustenance. They're just making sweets, <laughs> but it's great. And they sort of yeah. Is that where like and after they hand them out and everyone sort of likes them mm-hmm. and there's that, that every time someone has a marmalade sandwich, the angelic choir plays, which is another beautiful touch. But I think that's the part where everything kind of transforms from this rough prison to this kind of like almost as a sort of musical montage. And it goes into this sort of, um, it looks like a five-star restaurant. Yeah. And even though it's a prison still, even though they're meant, they're forced to be there, everything looks so nice. And you're like, wow, I want to go to prison. And there's another one, those clips, those songs, this one's about like loving your neighbor and stuff like that. And yeah. Oh, so good. Such a weird tonal shift too, yeah. but it's beautiful. The Browns visit Paddington in prison to give him an update and meet all of his new friends. This is one of my favorite bits in the movie. Paddington <laughs> just calling out all the people as they pop in from the sides. So good. And then names are really absurd, too. Yeah. There's like Shaky Joe or something like that. <laughs> He's just like a random name. And they never get explained as to why these characters have these absurd nicknames. They're just like prison names, you know, and they just have them. And he's introducing them very politely. I love the part in that scene where... Mr. Brown is obviously very, he's very sort of stuffy and uptight and he's very judgmental of these like prison friends that Paddington has mm-hmm. made. So he tries to like turn off the microphone. He's like, I hate these people. Like, do we really want to trust this bunch of, and Knuckles is obviously can hear them all. And he's like, Mr. Brown, we can hear you. Just turn the light off. The microphone is the other button. <laughs> so good. Phoenix invites Mrs. Brown over to discuss the investigation and accidentally shows his hand by mentioning that the disheveled man had blue eyes, but she had only ever done a pencil sketch of him. The classic blunder of the uh, eccentric villain mm-hmm. giving away or being their own demise, the key to it, you yeah. know, and then this will give away too much information. I really enjoyed a line in the next scene when they're back at the Browns and Mrs. Brown is explaining all this stuff like Phoenix did it and the parrot was right and all that stuff. And then is it Mrs. Bird, I think, has a line that's like, she looks right at the camera and it's like, actors are some of the most evil, devious people on the planet. I'm like, that's such Did a you meta look at the joke. Camera? I didn't even notice it's that. It's such a meta joke. Like, they're making fun of the fact that they're in a movie. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I, I remember that line specifically. I thought it was a great line. I didn't realize she looked in the camera at the time. I have to go back and it's, watch that. If it's not directly in, it's right offset. But I feel like that was the intention. Is It's got to be. Yeah. Everything's intentional yeah. in this movie. It has to be. Mrs. Brown sneaks into Phoenix's house and her and Mr. Brown get into his attic where they see all the costumes. When caught by Phoenix, they insist that they're conducting a home inspection. Even though they now know the culprit, they've been so wrapped up in the investigation that they miss visiting hours, leading Paddington to think they've forgotten about him. That is an incredibly sad scene, mm-hmm. by the way. Like uh, that, that, that is a genuinely sad scene. But going back to when they were like breaking in, I think it, it says a lot because uh, Mrs. Brown, very, very efficient with it. And Mr. Brown, who always assumes he knows best, is the one who kind of is the blunder. He always comes in and ends up sort of messing things up, mm-hmm. similar to Paddington. Where he's like, you're breaking and entering. She's like, I haven't broken anything. And immediately after, Mr. Brown knocks over a pot by accident and breaks it. (laughs) And it's like, if you just weren't here, this would have gone so well. Yeah. They're such a lovely pair together, too. Like, they really do complement each other well on screen. Yeah, I think in both movies, there have been, there are key moments where they bring out the best in one Mm -hmm. another. So it kind of shows weaknesses in each character. So Mr. Brown isn't as adventurous or he's not really as courageous as she would hope. But when the time comes to it, mm-hmm. he sort of acts up on that. So they have these themes playing where this character isn't blank enough. And then it gets to a point where it matters and it shows that they can step up. And that's really sweet. Yeah. 
Paddington and his friends plan a prison break and escape in a makeshift hot air balloon. They had told Paddington they were going to help him clear his name, but lied in order to get his help. They plan to flee the country and ask Paddington to go with them, but he's set on returning home. Again, that was another bit of like a bit of a sad scene where I'm like, ah, oh, it's a shame, like because they're you know you can't trust the prisoners, but at the same time they like I I get they just wanted to be free, but the the little hot hot air balloon thing it's so whimsical and it's so in line with the rest of the movie. Mm. I'm like, of course it's a hot air balloon they're gonna get away, and why not? And of course they didn't make them like totally evil bad guys because they're still like, come make marmalade with us, like we're free. Yeah, I just think because they they don't really have. Or they don't really set up that they have families to go back to, whereas Paddington is very family-centric, and that's what the whole movie is based around. So it shows that even though they're both sort of on the same side, they, they kind of have to go different ways. Paddington calls the Browns, who tell him that Buchanan is the thief. They arrange to meet at Paddington Station, where the carnival train containing the treasure will be leaving soon. They assume that Buchanan will also be heading there, and they'll be able to catch him. I love that scene. I think when he first calls, nobody answers because they're out. They were looking at into Phoenix's whatever's and he they, they missed the call and then they eventually call him back but it was a, it was almost a super sad scene when Paddington would call home and it looked like everyone had forgotten about him and just not picked up the phone and again going back to what I was talking about regarding color in every scene even on those scenes something that's weird about there's that scene there's another scene in the movie when he's making the phone call in quite like a sad tone these street lights are like giving off a green light mm-hmm. and it's something that is really weird like you never see that in real life especially in England but you don't question it in the movie because everything else in the scene is fitting that palette. Yeah. And I was like on rewatch. I was like, why is that green? That doesn't make, and I'm like, of course, like it just fits the, the theme of what they're going for here. Did they shift then when, cause I know the, the box lights up and then of course that brightens up everything you know around what? him. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to watch that whenever, when they call back, if the lights change, yeah. cause they, they've done that a couple of times in the movies where lighting and sets change to match the mood. Yeah. Um, similar to, there was a brief scene in the first movie, not to spoil anything, but there's a, a sign where he's sitting under called Lost and Found. If you remember the yep. Lost and Found sign and when it lights up with Found, then the lighting changes. And I thought that was a wonderful scene. Mm-hmm. So I, they probably did the same here. Yeah. Paddington makes it onto the carnival train with Buchanan, but the Browns narrowly miss it. So they hijack another train with Jonathan's help. Loved his line here as well when he's like, my name's not J-Dog. Like, he finally accepts who he is. Yeah. It's Jonathan Brown, and I like steam trains. So good. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I think, yeah, the whole movie is trying to hide who he is. or he, like I think that's essential to his character. Mm-hmm. He's trying to fit in with his friends and seem cool. And yeah, so this is definitely a form of acceptance, too, where he's like, yeah, I like trains. Like, he sort of, he was shy about that. Like, he thought he'd get made fun of the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And he's finally went, like, again, he, he comes to that point where it matters, and he steps up. And again, it goes on to this really, like, whole... Train scenes in movies are usually fairly cool. Like, I'm not a big train guy. I know there's people that are, like, really into trains. Yeah. I'm not crazy about trains. But train scenes in movies are usually pretty cool, and they're usually fairly high stakes. This is re- a really good, like, train action movie scene in, like, a movie about a bear. Yeah. Like, what? It's so good. Surprisingly good. Buchanan finds the organ and enters the code, but only sees the treasure momentarily before he accidentally closes it, and Paddington runs off with the book. I love how the organ works where you have to play like a certain musical note. So that's the whole thing in the pop-up book. There's different notes or there's different places marked around London and each of them have like a different musical note on it that you use to open it, which is really cool. However, Paddington just wanted the book and he kind of got it in that scene. Why? But he's like still went on to like save the day. Well, Paddington, Paddington ran away with the book and then it probably would have been over there, except for the fact that Phoenix chased after him because it closed. Yeah, again. but Phoenix could have been like... 
Oh, because I guess he didn't memorize the music. Right. Notes. He's like, he was like, like what yeah. is it? He tries entering the notes again. And then he's like, oh, I need that book because he didn't remember it. Could have been like, hey, can I just borrow the book for like two seconds? Just want to read a code. <laughs> right? I'll write it down on a piece of paper. If they had you just can have it stopped back. and talked for a moment, everything would have been fine. Yeah, I think it's like, again, that classic villain thing of thinking he must have thought that Paddington wants what he was going to get. You know, he must have been like paranoid about that. When Paddington was being, you know, he just wanted a, a nice gift for his aunt yeah. Lucy. That's all he wanted. He tries escaping to the other train, but Buchanan grabs the book and puts Paddington in a separate cart before detaching it from the rest of the train. The cart runs off the tracks and into the water with Paddington trapped inside. Unusually dark. You know what I mean? Like, for a very cheesy sort of eccentric villain, mm-hmm. for him to like detach a train cart and essentially kill this bear is pretty hardcore. Attempted murder in a kid's movie. Yeah, I, want, I don't know if that was... Was that actually his intention, or was he just trying to disconnect the train I think car? he was really just trying to disconnect him. He might have not known where that track actually goes, but just getting Paddington out of the way is probably the yeah. objective. Yeah, that makes sense. Mrs. Brown dives into the water, so here's that diving thing coming back, but is unable to open the door and free him, which was a heartbreaking scene watching well, you them can see stare both at each of them other. looking at each other and they kind of accept that he's did like she can't free him like that is a shockingly deep moment where in their faces you can see that like they're accepting that paddington's gonna die here it's incredibly sad especially as he's like cgi too it's hard to convey like cgi they can do amazing things with cgi and it's getting better and better all the mm-hmm. time Face CGI has always been a bit rough. Like, it's always hard to get right because you can, humans are very emotive in their yep. face. They nailed it with Paddington. Like, he is very, very emotive. And you get that from like that scene, especially where they're looking into each other's eyes. It's a CGI bear, but you're like feeling genuine emotion yeah. from it. Uh, just as hope is seemingly lost, Knuckles and the others arrive and get the door open. I love that you can hear the little biplane that they're in overhead too. Because they, they get out of a hot oven and they go in like a little biplane thing. And you can hear it soaring overhead as all hope is lost. And then you hear them diving yeah. in. And yeah, it's it's beautiful that they actually like they came back for their friend. And it's yeah, it's so good. Paddington awakens back in the attic of the Browns home after three days of recovery rest. Phoenix has been arrested and his name has been cleared. But it's also Aunt Lucy's birthday. As he goes downstairs, all his neighbors are waiting for him to thank him for everything he does. They say that since the police took the book for evidence, they came up with another gift for Aunt Lucy's birthday. Just then, the doorbell rings, Paddington goes to answer, and his Aunt Lucy is there waiting for him. And that is the scene where everyone cries because it's so beautiful. Oh my god. Now, you said you don't normally like cry during movies. Did this part like really hit you? It hit me like to the point where I could actually like feel it. I didn't get a tear the first time I watched it. However, upon rewatch, it has hit me harder. Yeah. And I think a big part of that is, I don't know if you're aware, but recently my mother has passed mm-hmm. away and it's been a big thing in my life lately. And I think these movies are so family centric, especially seeing that, like, I think whenever I'd watched this movie before, I would still always think of my mom and it was still like a really sweet thing. And as she was going through the cancer, I'd watched this movie a couple of times and it was quite sad seeing like all these sort of like sweet things and being reminded of that. And watching it again after she's now sadly passed away, and I've been dealing with that all in the last month or so, it was tough. And I think I def- I did definitely have some tears at the end. Yeah. And it was it was a bittersweet feeling, because obviously you don't want to, but it was like, on the bright side, I've been wanting to cry at movies. Like, I really want that. I don't, I just, I feel incapable of doing that, or I feel that, that immersion with movies and games and TV. 
and I finally managed to do it. And I was really sort of proud of myself. Like, wow, I actually have that kind of, I had that empathy with something. And I don't know, a lot of people get it with age. A lot of people, it could be something to do with age, could be a mix of that mm -hmm. and, you know, family and losing family recently. And it's, it's tough. But yeah, that scene, especially it's, it's, it's so, I don't know. I can't, I can't describe it. I lack the emotional articulation to describe how that makes you feel. And that's why I want more people to watch this movie because even when you know it's coming, I, I rewatching it, I'm like, oh, of course, it's a part where Aunt Lucy shows up. Something about the buildup with the music and the look on his face and the way, ah, oh, it's just so good. It really is. Yeah, I uh, and I, I messaged you before we recorded this too, because I was a blubbering baby at this part. So <laughs> I'm I'm an easy mark when it comes to TV and movies and stuff. And I, I wasn't I wasn't sure there'd be anything like that in this movie. But this part hit me particularly hard. And even on the rewatch, when I watch and I take notes the second time for the podcast, I am constantly like pausing it and writing things down. So I'm experiencing it, but not the same way that I did when I just watch it straight. Yeah. Even when I got to this part, I'm like typing and like. <laughs> it's so good. So good. It's like, again, even when you know it's coming, it's still I don't know what it is. I don't know how they do it. If it's it's just a mix of everything, the colors, the music, mm -hmm. the build up the way like he's surrounded by his friends and family and they're all it's all a surprise that they've worked out for him because they care about him it's so beautiful and i i hope we get to see where that leads to in the third movie but that is the as i mentioned before there were three scenes in the movie that stand out to me above all else and that is definitely the third one the one that we missed was when he's in prison and he thinks the browns have forgotten about him yep he's in his cell he starts crying a tear rolls down onto the floor and out of it sprouts plant life and it goes into this whole sort of um, imagination scene where a whole forest grows in his cell room. He's back in the Peruvian jungles once again, and he goes and sees Aunt Lucy. And again, I think all three scenes, he's, all three of the scenes that stick out to me, he's with his Aunt Lucy, he's with family. Yeah. And maybe that's something, maybe that's telling of me or something like that. I don't know. Or maybe they were intended to be the standout scenes of the movie. But the paper craft scene with Aunt Lucy, the prison cell jungle scene with Aunt Lucy, and the scene where he's reunited with her at the end are the three, in my opinion, best scenes of the movie. I think that that not only is a good reason for why the last scene works so well, but I think that Aunt Lucy is an exception for Paddington as a character in the sense that throughout all these movies, and you see it from the way that people act around him, Paddington is just a completely giving, selfless person. And yet the only thing he wants is still something for someone else like his big want in this movie yeah. is a gift to give to somebody else because that's just the kind of character he is so when he finally gets something that he didn't even know he wanted at the end of the movie you're just like you deserve every single little bit of that you precious yeah, little bear that's what it is that's exactly what it is is yeah he never asked for that he, he never even considered that possibility that he could bring her here like i think he always wanted to but the gift was, was something that would have to do. Mm -hmm. And seeing how sad he was when he realized he, he missed her birthday and he couldn't get her the gift in time because he had always, he'd been passed out for those three days. It was heartbreaking. And it was like, oh, that's, that's, that sucks. He kind of missed out. And he, you can tell he's really sad about it. And I think kids and adults are like, when you hear that knock on the door, everyone knows who it mm -hmm. is. Everyone knows who it's going to be. It, like, it's not, it's not meant to be hidden. Like, oh, it's a mystery person at the door. We all know it's going to be Aunt Lucy. But it still has that emotional impact when he opens the door. Yeah. It's still like, you know, you knew who it was going to be, but you, you feel like Paddington in that scene. Yep. 
you feel like that same sense of wonder when you see them reunited. It's beautiful. It really is. Oh, it's so good. It's done so incredibly well. Uh, that is Paddington 2. Is there anything else you'd like to say about the movie as we kind of wrap things up? I hope as many people have seen it as possible. It's hard. To, it's a hard one to get people to watch. You know, there's always those movies where you try and, or TV shows that you try and get people to watch, <laughs> but you feel like the more you talk about it and tell them to watch it, the more you drive them away from it. Yeah. I, do, I try not to say too much about this movie because I feel like I don't want to be the guy who's obsessed with like a cartoon bear. Like, I don't want to be that guy. But at the same time, this is one that I'm always like, please just give it a chance. Again, going back, and I think there's another reason why it impacted me so much is this was a movie that I always tried to get my mom to watch and she wouldn't watch it. When she was going through a cancer treatment, she would be watching a lot of movies in the time because it was like a comfort for her and a sort of a form of escapism. And also I was like, hey, let's sit down and watch this panning, these Paddington movies together. And she's like, it doesn't really look like, it looks like a kid movie. I'm like, trust me, you will really like it. Yeah. And she said, oh, she always said, oh, it's more of a Sunday afternoon kind of movie. Like she never wanted to watch it at night. She liked her action okay, movies and stuff. Yeah. I'm like, I was like, all right, fine. We'll pick a Sunday. We'll get around to it. And obviously we never did. And that's quite, a, you know, so that's a big regret for me because I think she would have really liked that. Uh, never finding the time to sort of sit down and watch this together. I think she would have really liked it. Yeah. Well, as we are wrapping things up, is there anything we can plug for you uh, where people can find you on the internet? Anything like that? Uh, you can find me pretty much everywhere under the name Super Scurry. That's, that's, I mean, it'll be in the episode title. I have, I'm fortunate enough to be one of the people that have the same name everywhere. So Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, wherever you want to find me, you can find me if you so choose. I'm just here to talk about a bear. That's, that's, just, that's just me. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this episode. I really, uh, really, really enjoyed this. Thank you for having me. I'm glad I made some, I literally made you watch Paddington do this, which is good. Because <laughs> you hadn't seen it before. So again, I, I, as long as I got one person to watch it, I'll be happy. Thank you. Thank you very much. Random Movie Club is a production of The Geek Generation. If you like this show, be sure to check out our other podcasts on The Geek Generation Network at thegeekgeneration.com. You can support Random Movie Club and get access to exclusive bonus content by visiting our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. Join our community on Discord at thegeekgeneration.com slash Discord. Our theme song is provided by Michael McLeod of Wolfstein Music. A link to his site can also be found on our site. Thanks for listening. Make sure you join us next time when we'll discuss Labyrinth. See you then.